God, illumine our minds by the power of your Holy Spirit, that as the scriptures read and your word proclaimed, our eyes may see your kingdom, our ears may hear the call of Jesus, and our hearts may know the joy of your salvation. Amen. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? One thing I asked of the Lord, this I seek, to live in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. To behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple, for he will hide me in his shelter in the day of trouble. He will conceal me under the cover of his tent. He will set me high on a rock. Now my head is lifted up above my enemies all around me, and I will offer in his tent sacrifices with shouts of joy. I will sing and make melody to the Lord. Hear, O Lord, when I cry aloud. Be gracious to me and answer me. Come, my heart says, seek his face. Your face, Lord, do I seek. Do not hide your face from me. Do not turn your servant away in anger. You who have been my help, do not cast me off. Do not forsake me, O God of my salvation. The voice of the Lord, powerful and full of majesty. Thanks be to God. Our gospel reading for this morning is from Matthew chapter 4, verses 12 to 23. Listen to the word of the Lord. Now when Jesus heard that John had been arrested, he withdrew to Galilee. He left Nazareth and made his home in Capernaum by the sea, in the territory of Zebulun and Naphtali, so that what had been spoken through the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. Land of Zebulun, land of Naphtali, On the road by the sea, across the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. The people who sat in darkness have seen a great light. And those who sat in the region and shadow of death, light has dawned. From that time, Jesus began to proclaim, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. As he walked by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who was called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishers. And he said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of people. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. As he went from there, he saw two other brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John, in the boat with their father, Zebedee, mending their nets. And he called them. Immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. Jesus went throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and curing every disease and every sickness among the people. 
The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. God of all people, you sent your Son into the shrouded world, into the borderlands. May his dawning light give hope to the broken, the persecuted, the alien, and the excluded, that we might feel the kingdom drawing near and turn to follow him. Through Jesus Christ, the morning star. Amen. Every hero's journey begins with a call. That was true for Moses and for Moana. It is true for Luke Skywalker and for Jesus. It is true for each one of us as well. To be loved by God is to have a calling placed upon our lives. See, calling is a word that sometimes gets reserved only for some people, but it's not. Calling is not merely for pastors or for those in helping professions. Every one of you is called, whether you know it or not. We all have a vocation regardless of our employment. See, jobs, they, they come and go, but your vocation remains. That word vocation, it comes from the Latin vocari, which means to call. And so when we're talking about vocation, we're talking about something far more significant than your career. What is your calling? To discovering that calling and following it is one of the most courageous things that any of us can ever do. Moana is one of my favorite films, certainly in the Disney canon. The story of discovering and following one's call. And if you've seen the film, you know that it's a story that's been told thousands and thousands of times in different forms. But in this form, Moana is the daughter of the village chief on a small Pacific island, and everyone is looking to her to be their next leader. And while she loves her people, she feels called by the sea to voyage. But no one in her tribe is allowed to go past the reef because they have everything they need for happiness right where they are, or at least that's what they've been told. And so while she wants to honor her father and her people, Moana cannot ignore the call of the sea that she hears in her heart. And so when disease breaks out on the island's vegetation, when her grandmother dies, Moana answers that call to the sea in search of hope for her people. Jesus' calling was made clear at his baptism, which we celebrated last week. In Jesus' baptism, he is named God's beloved son in whom God is well pleased. And embedded in those words are not merely blessing, though they are words of blessing. There's also calling. See, to be named as God's beloved son in this context is a reference to the Davidic line of kings. It's a reference to Psalm 2. It's not just that God loves Jesus, but that God is naming Jesus as the royal son, as the heir to the throne of Israel. And so in his baptism, Jesus is publicly declared Israel's true king. And that, as you might imagine, is dangerous. Because Israel already has a king. By this point, it's Herod Antipas, son of Herod the Great, who we think of in the birth story. 
And like his father, Herod the Great, little Herod Antipas is not keen on having rivals. And that's where our story today begins. When Jesus heard that John had been arrested, he withdrew to Galilee. See, it's, it's upon hearing the news that his cousin John is under arrest that Jesus says, I got to get out of Dodge. And he does. Because he knows that if John is in danger, then I'm in danger too. Both of these people are a threat to those in power. We didn't talk about this last week at the baptism scene, but you know, when John is out in the wilderness inviting people, hey, come be baptized, come receive forgiveness out here in the Jordan River, well, he becomes a threat at that moment because there's already an entire system set up in Israel about how one receives forgiveness. And that system involves priests and a temple and Jerusalem. And it just so happens that temple is the economic engine of the entire nation. And so when John comes along, acting entirely outside of that system, pouring out forgiveness like it's river water, well, the people in charge don't like it very much. Of course they don't. Herod's thugs arrest John, hoping to put a movement, his movement, to an end, but little do they know that there is one greater than John who has come, and his movement has yet to get started. And so Jesus begins his vocation by withdrawing to Galilee, moving outside of the gaze of the empire. Now, the time for confrontation with the empire, it's going to come. But for now, he is building his merry band of resistors, saying, repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. These are the exact same words that were on John the Baptist's lips out in the wilderness of Judea. When we hear that word repent, I think we normally think about morally shaping up, right? Feel bad about yourself. Get yourself together. But that's not what the word repent means. The, the call to repent is a call to change your mind. The word literally means change your mind. See the world anew. Let go of the normal loyalties as they have been set for you by Herod and by Rome and instead allow God's kingdom to determine your loyalties. That's what the kingdom of God is all about. It's incredible to think about how little Jesus speaks about the afterlife, almost not at all, and how much he speaks about the kingdom of God, or as, as it's put in Matthew, the kingdom of heaven. It's pretty much the only thing Jesus ever talks about. And I think we have a hard time relating to it, because in our world of democracies, where leaders are elected by the will of the people, it can be hard to connect with the word kingdom. I think for us, kingdom always denotes hierarchy and power. And yet the kingdom that Jesus describes is ruled by grace and by forgiveness. And this is why many biblical scholars have removed the G from the word kingdom, instead calling it the kingdom of God. See, the, the kingdom that Jesus is calling you to join is one in which you recognize and honor your kinship with all creation, your connection, your place in the web of God's family which means that your loyalty is no longer merely to your tribe or to your family or to your nation. To follow Jesus is to be a part of God's universal family, a world in which everyone belongs, which incidentally is why a lot of churches don't have American flags in their sanctuary. 
not as a way to say because we're not happy to be a part of this country, but in recognition that our calling is to something deeper than merely to this nation that we are a part of. It is to be a part of God's universal family. So to follow Jesus means to say, I'm part of this kingdom movement where everyone belongs, where all are welcomed. And that sounds really cool, I think, until you grasp what it actually means. Right? Because Jesus doesn't call us to follow him in our spare time on Sundays in the morning, but to be willing to follow him with our whole life and to let everything go in the process. And so Jesus walks along the shoreline and he sees these two brothers, Peter and Andrew, who are busy fishing, making an honest living, minding their business until Jesus comes along and wrecks their world. Follow me and I'll make you fishers of people. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. It's, it's incredible. They leave their jobs and discover their vocation. They don't weigh their options and, and sell their portion of the company. They leave the life they know and follow. And this is not the last time that Jesus will call someone to let go of their attachment to wealth and to occupation. He does it a lot, and I'm uncomfortable every time he does it. Because I want to follow Jesus, right? But I'd like to hang on to my career, my possessions, my retirement account. But following Jesus means letting go of our attachments to career and to financial security. And if that weren't hard enough, he even calls us to leave our families. Jesus calls James and John, who not only leave their career as fishermen, they leave their father as well. Matthew says, immediately they left their boat and their father and followed him. It's incredible. Are there any bigger attachments that we as humans have than, than to wealth and family? Jesus goes right to the heart of what we value most, our two biggest sources of identity and security. And he says, you know, if you want to have like real life, true life, then you need to be willing to let those things go. Now, of course, career, family, these are wonderful gifts from God. I cherish mine. I suspect many of you do as well. And no, I don't think Jesus is literally calling all of us to leave our jobs or our families, but I do think he wants us to know more than just intellectually that there are more important things in life than money and pleasing our parents. <laughs> and thank God there are more important things than that. Have you noticed that in every hero's story, the, if the hero's going to grow up, they need to leave their village behind and enter the larger world? Bilbo leaves the Shire. Luke leaves Tatooine. Moana leaves her father and her village and voyages across the sea. And Jesus leaves home and invites us to join him on an adventure that will take all of the courage that we have. We will face dragons and temptations, contempt from our tribe. We will face death itself, even death on a cross. But if we stay true to that call, we will find freedom and healing both for our own soul and for our village back home. That's the promise of the kingdom. It's healing 
for everyone. While most of us will not and should not literally leave our families or quit our jobs tomorrow, but if we're unable to think beyond the the small vision of our provincial attachments, then we will remain perpetually immature. If we're unable to see beyond the limited vision of our small tribe, then we will remain narcissistic, codependent children. The call of the kingdom is a call to grow up, to not only be concerned with your own family, but with all families. It's to begin to see that your security and your neighbor's security, the security of the people in Linden and San Francisco and Ukraine and Afghanistan, it's all ultimately one and the same. It's one family. But if you're going to see that, you have to leave home. And then and only then will we witness the kingdom of heaven transform our lives and our communities. Jesus went throughout the Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and curing every disease and every sickness among the people. That, that's the promise. It's not merely an account of something that happened way back when. It's a promise of what God will do in our midst when we are transformed by Christ's call. What in our community needs healed? The kingdom is the answer. Christ calls you to the kingdom. And following that call is never safe. In fact, it's, it's full of danger. But there's a greater danger. And that's not answering the call at all. And missing out on what you are here to do. Because there's only one of you that God has ever made or ever will make. You are a unique and unrepeatable utterance of God. And God has created you for the holy work of love and healing. That's what you're here to do. To love and to heal. To do for others what Christ has done for you. That's the call. Let's follow. Let's pray together. Eternal God, in this season of epiphany, in this season of divine showing, we recall the the wonder of Christmas, the birth of Emmanuel with joy and with gratitude. And for all of that joy that we enter into every year, still our problems remain, our, our brokenness and our suffering persist. Our hearts cry out for you as we seek to know you face to face. So often we can't find you. We feel forsaken in the midst of our despair. Lord, open our eyes to your abiding presence that we might know that you never leave or forsake us. So Lord, right now we take a moment to focus our minds, our hearts, on you. The psalmists, ages ago, lifted their prayers to you in faithful confidence that you hear and receive our petitions. And so following their lead, we lift our concerns for the world, for our community, for our loved ones. We pray for our world full of violence and political tension. 
And we pray for the Ukrainians who remind us of democracy's fragility and inspire us to cherish our right to self-determination. Lord, protect those who hold to good and are resisting evil. Soften the tyrants who fail to see the global consequences of their greed. And lift the lowly in need of grace. Lord, set the oppressed free. We pray for our community, for people searching for companionship and communion, for the ill and for their caregivers, for the laborers who ensure that our needs are met. God, help us to see you at work among us and the bonds that we form, serving together in kindness and the ways that we grow in understanding and empathy for those whose lives are different than our own. Lord, we praise you for the many ways you show up in our lives, in our world. We praise you for becoming God with us in Jesus. We pray for our loved ones, those whom we hold closest to heart and mind. Comfort those who grieve. Encourage those who are ill and recovering. We pray for Jim and Peggy for Jeff and for Sarah, for John and for Fritz, and for all those that we carry with us here in our hearts who need your loving presence. Generous God, filter our despair through your good news of great joy that we might see and know and share your abundant hope and irresistible grace. In your mercy, O God, hear the prayers of your people and help us to live as epiphanies of your work and your presence, showing your love for all the world. And now hear us as we pray the prayer that Christ taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Amen. 